0: All right. Thank you all very much. Well, as we've gotten back to school, uh, to me, that's often a time when we, whether we're actually in school or not, we begin to move around the community and see other people. And we think about the fact that, you know, our lives intersect with others, uh, whether it's people immediately next to us or across town or people that we see going from here to there. And so uh, we beginning a short series uh, borrowing a title that you'll recognize called Won't You Be My Neighbor? You recognize that. There's the graphic. Uh, you recognize that graphic, no doubt. And uh, so we're going to talk uh, six or seven Sundays about what the Bible says from the beginning of the Old Testament to the New Testament about, about neighbors and, and what we're supposed to be as neighbors and and what that means regarding not only our faith, but our, our actions and our thoughts and things like that. Uh, Mr. Rogers, obviously, for most of us, doesn't really need an introduction. Even if you didn't grow up watching uh, his, his program, uh, when he died several years ago, he was all over the news and, and people were, were talking about him. And so uh, if you're younger and you didn't watch him growing up, you heard you probably heard him about him at that point. And now there's actually a movie with the same title, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, that is biographical about his life. It's out. I think it's out in theaters right now. And the thing about Mr. Rogers was was that was the title of his show. Uh, and He presented, you know, uh, just different thing. You know, it was educational, but but it really was in a sense that this is just what you do because it's it's how you want others to do to you. That was sort of his uh, sort of his ethic as as he lived and, and the way he tried to be. And uh, everybody just liked him. I mean, I, I'm not sure there's anybody that, that didn't like him or could be upset with him. Uh, could you imagine? You remember how the song went? You know, he'd say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Could you imagine someone responding to that, that nice question? No, Mr. Rogers, I will absolutely not be your neighbor. I'd be ridiculous, right? We just can not respond to him that way. Everyone liked him and had positive things to say. He had 29 honorary degrees. I don't know what the record is for having the most of those. I mean, you don't earn them. They're given to you. But, I mean, for 29 different colleges to give one guy an honorary degree. That's, that's a lot. He received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He even had an asteroid named after him. In the mid-'80s, there was a Burger King commercial that came out. And they were, they were mimicking Mr. Rogers. They called their character Mr. Rodney. I don't know if you remember it or not. Remember it, Rod? Uh, But there was this guy that was supposed to be like Mr. Rogers in the Burger King commercials. And, and when he saw it, it bothered him because he didn't want, because it, it resembled him so much. He didn't want little kids watching that commercial and thinking it was him. And so he was, was honest about that. He mentioned it in a press conference and he didn't like that. And, and would you believe Burger King pulled the ads? They apologized. I mean, how, today, who, who would a company trying to make profits, who would they do that for? So he pulled the ads and they apologized to him. In addition to his personality, I think that the thing that made people like him so much was just that he was genuine. Uh, you've heard, I've, I've heard people say that, that he was supposedly the same person off of camera as he was on camera, That's just who he was. And he had this deep held belief that children especially could pick up on fakeness and, and phoniness. And so he tried to just be who he was even when he was on camera. So much so that, that he says he was in an interview and, and he said that, that when, when the show first came out, his children saw him on TV and they would watch it sometimes and they would point to the TV and they would say, look, there's our other daddy. Because it was the same. It wasn't a persona to them. It was the same guy. In 1979, there was a Supreme Court uh, <clears throat> case between Sony and Universal City Studios. And, and they were trying, Universal City Studios was trying to sue Sony as a maker of this ancient machine called the VCR. You remember those? They were trying to sue Sony to prohibit them. Oh, I thought, did I go out for a second? To prohibit them from, uh, from being able to, to create VCRs where you could record things on TV. Uh, they, were, they were saying that it, it infringed on copyright laws. And can you imagine, whether you're familiar with that case or not, can you imagine if they would have won that case? All of you who DVR Big Brother and whatever, you like the DVR. That's, that's, that's a landmark case, and, and, and they ruled that they could do that. It wasn't a, it wasn't a copyright infringement. And, and central, one of the central things of their decision was, was a testimony by Fred Rogers that, that advocated for that even though it, it took ratings down for a show, even though it potentially took some earnings out of the pockets of producers, because, because he said he wanted children to have a chance to watch this program no matter what time it was. And so the problem for us, the challenge for us, when we think about being a neighbor, and you think about Mr. Rogers, is that not everybody is Mr. Rogers. It's easy to be Mr. Rogers' neighbor, isn't it? And he's a nice guy, who wouldn't wanna be his neighbor? But everyone that you deal with is not going to be Mr. Rogers. And I had EJ read, it didn't get up on your screen, that was my fault. But I had him read in Genesis uh, the creation of, of, of people and how God was on the sixth day and he said it was good. and you know That was before the fall. Everything was like it was supposed to be. And if we lived in that age, being a neighbor would be easy. But because we know what happened after God created people, we know what they did, we know that, that it's not easy. And that's really the problem the Bible's been trying to to sort of fix every since the beginning is that people don't act like they're supposed to act, how God wants them to act in our world. From the time of Abraham to Moses to the giving of the law to the, the introduction of the priesthood of Israel, God's been trying to teach his people how to live in a world that didn't reflect what what he wanted. And of course, as Christians, we know that's ultimately reflected in Christ, and we're gonna get there in the series and even some today. But we're going to begin in Leviticus this morning. Leviticus chapter 19. Everybody said, yes, I love Leviticus, right. I think it will be familiar to you though. Leviticus chapter 19. Begin in verse 9 where I'll start. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor, or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life, I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart, rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. So we have these commands, many of which are very familiar to us. And and they're important for a couple reasons. Number one is is that they are given to provide for God's people how they're supposed to live and how they're supposed to act. But then number two is that they're given because not of who the people are, but because of who God is. You heard that refrain over and over. I am the Lord. And so their laws, they're in Leviticus and and, and if you take them at face value, we can glean some things from them, and, and we're going to do that for a minute. But then we're going to talk about the why. What, why should we try? I mean, this is New Testament time, we live in the New Testament. Why should we try and obey those laws? And then how can we try and, and live like that? So that's where we're going this morning. But, but just taking it at face value, if you take them, these laws, kind of what they say, I, I've divided them up into, into four general categories. Number one, they tell us to be generous. You, you read about the practice at the very beginning of our text of, of, of God is saying, when you go out and you harvest your fields, leave the edges of the fields unharvested. And, you know, honestly, that was a common uh, ancient Near Eastern practice. It wasn't all that special or unique. It would be kind of like having a food bank. I mean, we have we love our food bank and we have the care center and it's a special thing. But but most communities, most have a food bank, don't they? They're not the most special thing in the world. You have a food bank. You try and take care of people. And, and it's not anything that's going to pull anyone out of poverty. It's just something that's going to be something there to give to people. Make sure people that don't have everything that they need have something. Right? But the unique part of the command comes in verse 10. And this was not a common practice. He says in verse 10 he commands the people, leave, leave the extra parts you don't harvest. Leave it for the poor and the alien. In other words, not just for you. Not just for your own people. Not just in a way that's gonna help your community because it's building up your own people. Kind of like a, a, what food banks are supposed to be for, right? It's outside of your people. I didn't necessarily do anything for the community, it was outside of it. Now, if you're like me, there's all kinds of what ifs when you think about being generous. Well, what if I'm generous to someone and they take what I give them and they use it for something that's not good? For drugs or alcohol, or what if they just don't know how to manage what I give them, or you know, what if when do I stop being generous? That's a tough one, isn't it? If you have someone that's always needing something, what what if I don't want to enable them, enable them, and and all those are legitimate questions, and you should ask them and you should wrestle with them, but but you know what, our text just doesn't address that. It says part of being part of God's people. Is being generous. And, and that's what the text is concerned with. Is that, that is a Christian, for us, it's a Christian practice. It's part of who we are. And, and yeah, we, we think about all those other questions, but all those other questions should not keep us from being the kind of people that God wants us to be, a, a generous people. And at the end of the day, this passage is not concerned with the, with the behavior of people that don't have anything. It's talking to us, it's talking to people that are believers, that know God. And they have something. It tells us to be generous. And also, if you take these commands at face value, it talks about being just. There's a list of ethical commands that focus on justice, beginning in verse 11. And there's some simple commands, not to steal, not to lie. The same commands we know from, from the Ten Commandments. And all the way to verse 15, it talks about not showing favoritism to the rich or the poor. And then right sandwiched in the middle of that, in verse 12, is this verse that seems like it's out of place when you read it because it says do not swear falsely by my name so profane the name of the lord your god it's talking about people but Then, in the middle there it, it talks about god and then it jumps back to, to the way you treat people the word profane in this context is, is all over leviticus but it's used five other times and in nearly all of those times when it's when it says profaning the name of the lord it's used five times in that sense And when they use it in that sense, it's almost always talking in some context about other people. It talks about not sacrificing children to foreign gods when it uses that. Because it profanes the name of the Lord. Don't make your daughter a prostitute because it profanes the name of the Lord. Don't eat the fellowship offering apart from the rest of the other people because it profanes the name of the Lord. And so you see what God is going for. He's saying the way that you treat me and the way that you treat others is not really... you can't really separate it. It's intimately connected in God's mind. Most of us consider ourselves to be fairly just people. I mean, we want to be fair. We want to be right, don't we? And and I thought I was just until I had kids. Especially two kids, when you have to choose between one or the other. We have a, a, a... whether this is a good practice or not, we have this practice in our house that if you eat good, you can get something sweet. And, and over the years, Emily's picked up on this and she's become a pretty good eater. And so she cleans her plate and she expects a piece of candy or whatever. And, uh, we try not to give anything too bad, you know, to where she's just eating sweets all the time, but that's an incentive. And Luke is just the opposite. He'll be sitting in her chair and she'll be cleaning her plate and she's ready for a dessert. And Luke just hadn't even touched his spaghetti. He just picks at it and not interested. He's not a big eater and. You know, you try to prod him, and even though the experts say you shouldn't use dessert as the carrot dangling, but we still do because that's, we're just, you know, trying to make it like everybody else. And it's like, come on, Luke, eat your spaghetti. We'll give you something sweet. You know, I don't want to, you know. And Well, you know, dinner's over eventually. I say, well, Luke doesn't get anything sweet, and Emily does. And, and he'll give me those really sad eyes. But Daddy, can I please just have a sucker? And I want to give him one so bad, but I don't just included in this idea of, is, of being just as being fair and then also being honest, being honest in these commands. Honesty is not just about not telling a lie. Verse 16 talks about slander. And it's interesting that, that slander is followed up in verse 16 that talks about endangering your neighbor's life. And literally that phrase, endangering your neighbor's life, can mean standing on your neighbor's blood. As, as if to say that when, when you start talking wrongly about your neighbor, you start slandering your neighbor, uh, you come to a place where you're, you're looking to one-up them. You're looking to benefit from them uh, in a way that, that hurts them. And then the other side of being honest is, is about not only what you don't say and what you don't do, but what you actually do say. In verse 17, the last part, rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. And, and the implication is, it talks, about, it talks about not hating them. It talks about don't hate a fellow Israelite. Is that when you do those things, you do them in love to your neighbor. Another common occurrence in our home is, is, might happen on Sunday morning. I might come out of the closet with some, some clothes on, that I think might be a little wrinkled And, and, and the fact that I, that I think that and, and I decide to ask Michelle that Shows that I already know The answer to the question But I'll come out and I'll say Michelle, do these, these pants look wrinkled to you? And Michelle knows how to be honest with me Without being mean to me And she'll look at me and she'll say Well... That's all she needs to say I know they're the wrinkled So <laughs> I just know it but the thing is, you know, I don't like to iron, so I, I try to buy these pants and shirts that are, that are wrinkle-free, and then I get mad when they get wrinkles in them because they're supposed to be wrinkle-free. But then I'll take them, and I'll throw them in the dryer, and I'll go and do some other things that need to get done. I'll take care of the kids, and, you know, about 10, 15 minutes later, I'll pull them out of the dryer, put them back on, and I'll walk in the bedroom, and I won't even have to say anything because if they're wrinkled, Michelle will be in the bathroom brushing her teeth or brushing her, brushing her hair, and she'll just kind of just kind of notice her eye, you know, just kind of squints a little bit. She just kind of looks over Okay, I'll go wear something else. <laughs> and she's honest with me. She knows how to be honest with me without being mean to me, but she's honest with me because she loves me. That's talent. And the last part of these commands talk about being forgiving. And maybe that's the most uh, common one, the most familiar one that we kind of think about when we think about what it means to be, to be a neighbor, to, to love others, to forgive others as, as we want God to forgive us. Uh, Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think maybe in an effort to, to help the people grasp what it means to forgive in, in the best context that they could, apart from Christ, they, God gives this command in Leviticus sort of in, in the negative fashion. You know, rather than saying, like Jesus does, go and do this, love your neighbors yourself by doing this and this and this, it says something different. He says, since you love your neighbor, don't do mean things to him or her. Which should be obvious, right? But since, you're loving, since you love your neighbor, you know, in a world that's characterized by violence, don't, don't go and be violent. In, in a world that's characterized by an eye for an eye mentality, since you love your neighbor, don't, don't go and do that like the other people do. And it's not simply because God is saying, you don't, you're, you're not just deciding to act this way because of who you are, but because of who I am. I am the Lord, he says, over and over and over. And that brings us to the why. You have all these laws and, and you know, should we obey them, or should we not in and, and, and the Old Testament? I mean, it, they're good laws. And so I think we, we all think that we should. But the why is really more important. He keeps saying in, 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 these, in Leviticus, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. It's because of who God is. Everything in Leviticus is concerned with being holy and approaching a holy God, including the way people treat one another. It's, it's all connected. Emily and Luke have, this, have become, since they've, they've both their car seats face forward now, they've become very good at being backseat drivers. And, well, One of the things they like to fuss at me about is for, for coming to a rolling stop at, at a stop sign. And the one that I do that the most at, I've told you this before, is the one that's right past the fitness center on that road that connects to our neighborhood. I will come to a rolling stop at that often and just keep going. And, and Emily will fuss at me and she'll say, Dad, you didn't stop at the stop sign. I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. Well, well, one day she forgot, and, and I came to a rolling stop like I often do, and she didn't say anything. And then I guess as we pulled up in the driveway, it just kind of hit her what happened, and she didn't say anything. And she said, Dad. And, and I said, what? And I kind of per- figured what she was upset about. She said, Dad. She gave me an ultimatum like I do her. The next time you run a stop sign, I'm, I'm going to tell a policeman that my daddy never stops stop signs. <laughs> and I said, well, I really – I really wish that you wouldn't. And she said, well, if I have to follow the rules, then so do you. There are consequences, Dad. You know, we don't have a God that has these expectations of us that, that he doesn't live up to. God, God is holy. and he's, he's beyond anything that we could ever do. And that's why when we look at what he says to do, we, we strive to live up to these rules and these, these laws. Now, the Old Testament and the New Testament are, are, are different. But I don't want you to think that Jesus came and redefined all this stuff. Because when Jesus came and he said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. He's speaking from these same ideas. You, you treat people a certain way because it reflects how you understand God. And Jesus brought these, these ideas and laws to their logical conclusion. And he's the reason that we can be the kind of neighbor that Scripture entails from beginning. To end, And, you know, sometimes we miss over that. When we, when we think about Jesus, ask your kids, who's Jesus? What did Jesus do? And, and this is a right answer, but they'll probably say something like, well, he died for my sins. And, and that's true. But really, that's like the tail end of, of what he did. That's one of the last things he did when he was on earth. That's, that's important and maybe one of the most important things. But man, he did so much more. He, he died for your sins, so you're forgiven. But if that's all Jesus did, then well, I'm just walking around doing what I want. And Jesus, you know, died for my sins and I'm forgiven. And I don't have to feel guilty about how I act. But no, we know Jesus did so much more than that, didn't he? And his life meant just as much as his death. Because he gave us the pattern to live. And he makes possible the kind of life God's been trying to get us to live from the very beginning. That's the why. And then, then there's the how. So you, you say, Matt, it's, it's important to be, I agree, it's important to be generous. It's important to be just. It's important to be honest and forgiving. And as friendly and as honest as Mr. Rogers. It sounds great. But how do I do that? Well, there's no easy answer. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to do that, obviously. But, but Jesus says, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. That's how We do it through Christ, not through our own strength. Pastor Steve Sorgean writes about a time when he and his wife, he was a first time pastor, and he and his wife had just moved into a neighborhood. And, and he found himself in the middle of two neighbors, and they were arguing over a tree. And, and one of them was a Christian, and one of them was not. And, and the one that was not a Christian was very loud and, and outspoken. The one that was a Christian was also very loud and outsp- outspoken. But he happened to be one-on-one one day with, with the one that was, was not a Christian. And he was saying, you know, this, these are all the, the bad things my neighbor's done to me. And he just was counting them off on his fingers. And he said, to top it all off, he said, I got a letter in the mail saying that, that if I don't trim this tree, that, that my neighbor and his lawyer are going to sue me. And he said, I wish he would have just come and, and asked me to, to trim the tree. And he said, I, I, I probably would have done that. I was, I was really, it isn't getting kind of long it does need to be trimmed but now he said now I'm not going to trim it I'll just be able to tell people a Christian's taking me to court over a tree if we not made knowing Jesus and following his teachings a priority if we can't deal with a tree how can we take up the cross that Jesus says to bear and to live a life of discipleship I'm the vine and you are the branches if you remain in me You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Maybe your first reaction when we read this morning's text was, there's no way I can do all of that. You know what, you're right. When you read about not telling a lie and being honest and and all those things, some of them are real big, but some of them are, you know, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to do those things. Martin Luther famously said that the, the, the point of the law was to demonstrate our need for grace. And so we're reminded of that when we read those, those tough laws. But receiving grace should not only transform what you get in Christ, it should also transform what you do for Him. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that some of you are probably thinking of a person right now that you struggle to be a neighbor to. Some of you, I've talked to you about that person, and so I can read your mind. I know who you're thinking about. You think, I don't know how I can be a neighbor to that person. And if you start there, if that's where you start, I could never be a neighbor to so and so. You're right. You're you're not going to be. Let me give you another place to start this morning. When you think about who has been a neighbor to you, when you think about someone that was generous and just and honest and forgiving, that somehow led you to receive Christ. When you think about that, where would you be without that person? Because that person that you think You might not be able to be a neighbor to They might be in that exact place You can be a neighbor Because of who God is If you remain in Christ God help us to do so Pray with me God as we look at at Your standards for for living God they're they're just so very different Than that of the world's And, And sometimes it's it's easy to sort of chop up our lives and, and be a Christian on Sunday and, and, and just live like how, how we want to live or how we think we need to live to get things done. And God, remind us that the way we treat one another is reflective of our understanding of you. And God, may your holiness motivate us to be a neighbor in the way that you've set forth in Scripture. God, lead us and guide us as we seek to do that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.